Now, we've just finished chapter 14. We're into 15. If you've been here for those sermons, chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas have gone on this kind of preaching missionary tour, and the response kind of looks like a wave graph, right? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes they get ran out of town. Sometimes Paul got stoned. Other times he got worshipped. It is a a roller coaster of responses to their preaching. Chapter 15 is another one. Paul and Barnabas are on this missionary tour. Uh, as a brief summary or paraphrase of what Amy just read for us, some guys had come down to where Paul and Barnabas were, were teaching and were suggesting that the Gentiles, meaning anyone who's not ethnically Jewish, so, so probably most of us in the room are Gentiles per this definition, um, they, were, they were suggesting that the Gentiles needed to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, which is another way of saying according to the Old Testament law. They needed to be circumcised as well as the work of Christ in order for salvation to be complete. And this isn't the first time this has come up. If you've been here for a while and you remember, Peter has already had to address this before. Y'all remember what this group is sometimes called in Scripture? It's the, the Judaizers, right? The, the circumcision party. We, there's different names for it. But essentially, believers, Christians, that generally ethnically Jewish Christians who had still not yet totally let go of the Old Testament or, or things that they felt needed to be added to the cross of Christ. This is what's happening here. So these guys are once again trying to get their teaching heard in the wake of the apostles' preaching. And verse 2 records that Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. As I'm reading this passage over and over and over this week, trying to picture it, trying to see the, the scene in my head, um, the, the, there's a couple of small details in this passage that struck me. This is one of them, that there, there was no small debate and dissension. We need to be careful of reading into Scripture, making assumptions about what was not said. But what is, is said here is that it was not um, a, okay, well, you think that and I'll think this and we'll just go our separate ways. Paul and Barnabas engaged it, and it sounds like in a, in a fairly animated way. And we've addressed that before, too. We, we need to speak up and be bold. Right? When we hear error, especially public error, at some degree, if, if we are silent in the wake of that, not every time, but in a lot of situations, that can, that can be a sense of we're at least not disagreeing. Okay? Paul and Barnabas understood that they needed to speak up. They had a significant debate with them. There's descriptions that can give us good examples to follow, and this is one of them. We, I, I also want to point out that we, we talk about in Bible study and, and interpretation, like the class that I've been teaching, that uh, we, we, in terms of what can we learn from Scripture, there's a couple categories. There's descriptive things, and there's prescriptive things. This is descriptive. Chapter 15 is largely descriptive. It's just an account of a story that happened. Prescriptive would be something like the Great Commission. Go, make disciples. It has an action verb, an imperative, something that we understand We're to take it. It's prescribed to us. We're to go do it. Now, this is description. It doesn't inherently mean that we are absolutely demanded to have no small debates and dissension, but often descriptive things in Scripture are probably things we should still be mindful of modeling some of our behavior around. And and it struck me this week how how perhaps countercultural that is modernly, to speak boldly and with debates about your faith. The last time you've been encouraged to speak boldly and to engage no small debate about your faith. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but, but how much of our modern society would say, let's not talk about that, right? Leave that at the door. We'll talk about sports and weather and whatever else, but we'll, we'll leave that more contentious stuff aside. If anything, we're just, if we're going to talk about our faith, we're encouraged to use non-assertive language. So, so instead of saying Christ is the only way, we'd be encouraged to say, well, I believe that Christ is a good way, but you believe what you think is a good way. Right? 
the Scripture, Paul and Barnabas were having none of that. They were speaking to other believers. It wasn't even that they were speaking to people outside of the Christian faith. They were speaking to other believers and were still bold and, and very clear about correcting what they heard as error. I want to be mindful and, and careful. I'm not suggesting or giving you license to go be a jerk to your neighbor or your family member, your friend, your coworker. I'm not suggesting we, we start swinging heavy hammers, right? Bible thumper is usually not a, a complimentary term. Right? We don't want to be those people, but we want to be bold. One of the, one of the great ways to have a conversation about faith is, is to honestly and, and earnestly ask another person about their beliefs, but it does not mean that we have to then be quiet about what they have stated. We can engage in that conversation. We see over and over again throughout Acts, the apostles, examples for us speaking boldly when they hear teaching that would be a threat to the saving grace of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were clear, they were bold, they didn't let it pass. They had significant debate. We need to be careful, again, about making assumptions, but I, but I guarantee you what they, Paul and Barnabas were not, were, saying, were not saying is, oh, yeah, yeah let's, we can add a little bit of Old Testament stuff. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm not going to, but if you want to add a little bit of Old Testament stuff to the gospel, that's fine. Right. No, it was, hey, look, it's the, Christ, or the cross of Christ alone. Say you go home this afternoon, and your neighbor's in their driveway changing their oil, and say you have really good eyesight, so you can see what the bottle is they're pouring back in their engine, and it's olive oil. And, and you go, hey, 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 um, uh, uh, neighbor, look, um, what I like to put in my engine is motor oil, but I'm just, that's just a thought. You know, if you want to do olive oil, that's fine. You know, that's up to you. That's ridiculous, right? Like, assuming you have a reasonable relationship with your neighbor, it's not just a stranger, I'm going to take it out of his hands. Do not do that. You're going to lock that thing up, right? You, and so it's such a, and what a, in the grand scheme of eternity, how insignificant is something like that in which we would be very bold in speaking up and declaring what we know to be correct. And yet how often do we say the cross of Christ, the, the, the only thing that will move you past this life into the next in avoiding eternal separation from God, and we go, oh, but you think what you want to think. Or we just don't say anything at all. Isn't that wild? How many things this week were you with someone else adamant about your understanding of what was right and their understanding of it being incorrect? Again, not as jerks, not, 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 not with heavy hammers or with condescension, but with the confidence that says, let me stop you from making a mistake. And Paul and Barnabas were quite bold with that. We would be well served to do the same. What if you feel ill-equipped? I, as a pastor, sometimes feel ill-equipped in those conversations. It's okay if you do too. We'll, we'll just, I'm, we're in it together, Okay. Once again, we can look to Paul and Barnabas. Verse 2 goes on to record, they tell us they went to consult with the other apostles and the elders. Even Paul and Barnabas went and did some research on occasion. Even Paul, who um, wrote a, a significant portion of the New Testament, the words of Paul were, were sanctified and spoken out through the Holy Spirit as literal scripture in the words of God. And here in this example, Paul, especially in his early days of being an apostle, went, I'm, here's, the, here's the answers I know, but listen, I'll go find more details so we can continue this conversation. Paul, the apostle from the Bible, needed to go consult with other people to make sure he understood his faith. It's okay if you do too. <laughs> you can still be bold without having all the answers. 
Be honest with that. I hope if you've been around here any amount of time, say that statement of faith series is a good example. Um, you have heard Robert and I say in response to some question, I don't know, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you, right? I'm just trying to, to set an example for it's okay not to know, but we want to work towards knowing. That's why we open our Bible. That's why we come together. It is to worship, it is to be discipled, and it is to be equipped with an understanding of our own faith for, for the good and the glory of God and also for the engagement of those who need to hear the truth. It can be as simple as, here's what I believe, and I'm still in the process of working through all there is to know about my faith, but I don't know that answer, but I'll help you go get it for you. That's what Paul and Barnabas do. So, so they go to Jerusalem, they seek those answers. Along the way, they're telling the story of the work of God that, that he has done, the Gentiles. Even in that moment where they're in the midst of debate and, and having to solve a problem, they, they are careful to continue to sing the praises of the work of God along the way. So they're telling the brothers of what is happening among the Gentiles, and it's being celebrated. I mean, I was really distracting smudge right in the middle. And when I take them off, I can't see my notes. And they arrive in Jerusalem. They sit with a council of wise individuals to discuss the matter. And in verse 5, we see some Judaizers, again, here mentioned as belonging to the Pharisees, were among them to debate the answer. And those folks were saying the same thing. Look, they, yeah, we're with them. We've got to, oh, thank you. <laughs> we've got to, um, uh, we, we've, they, the, the, once we get into that passage, it says some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees were saying the same thing. They need to be circumcised. We're with them. That, did you catch that? That struck me as, I don't know that I've ever noticed that. When you read back through, some believers who belong to the party of the what? The Pharisees. Isn't that interesting? If you've read any of the gospel, you will know uh, that Jesus had a lot to say about being a Pharisee. Right? He, he raged against the teaching of the Pharisees that we would often now call legalism, being that they were, they were trying to impose things onto the cross that Christ did not impose on us. That is, that is, by definition, legalism. There's a difference in we want to be holy and righteous and we're being legalistic. We want to be holy and righteous in response to the cross. Legalistic is something, or legalism being something that um, someone would say has to, uh, you have to do in addition to Christ's work in order to be saved. But even so, these people are considered believers. These people are, are, are at the table invited to the debate. How often are we doing that? I, I, I hate it. It is what it is. But we, we've, we've, throughout the country and throughout the world, have divided out and split off into our different denominations. And that comes from little disagreements about theology or doctrine or whatever. But, but how many friends do you have outside of your particular faith tradition? And how many, how many individuals are you interacting with who, who might bring some of this to the table? Maybe you're the one bringing some of this to the table. They're still invited and the discussion is open. We want to be careful again to not suggest that let's all leave here and then go to the church down the street and verbally assault all the congregation as they're coming out about something we disagree with them on. But I bet you it's your neighbor, it's your coworker. It's not just those who don't believe. It could be those who, who are believers, who, who are under the love of God and who are still saddled with the weight of something they think they have to do in order to fully receive and, and, and uh, live in the benefits of God's grace. Here's where the rubber hits the road for us uh, with that, and it, it totally relates to back to the first thing we talked about. Are we engaging with the people we disagree with, or are we just avoiding them and leaving them to think what they want? Uh, there's just so much 
so much of, of that kind of thinking in, in modern society. I don't know about the rest of the world, but it seems unique, uh, at least <clears throat> in our culture, uh, in our geographic location. There's a lot of just let each other be. Don't bring that up. Don't talk about that at family dinner. Don't bring that up in the office. Just leave it alone. And again, I would remind us that we, at least with our mouths, claim that the cross of Christ and our separation from God through our sin is the most important thing you could understand and understand correctly, not just for this life, but for eternity. And we're allowing ourselves to be uh, told not to talk about it, to not be bold with it. We're not being jerks. It's not malicious. It's not condescension. It is, I'm going to speak up about the thing I know. And we can have a discussion here, as Paul and Barnabas did. They seek it out. The passage would suggest that that we might ought to keep that conversation going. The subsequent verses give us a pretty good framework for how to talk about it. Peter, the preacher, gets up and lays it out for us. Verse 6 and following. Let me uh, quickly read through that again or, or summarize it. The apostles, the elders are gathered together. There's debate. Peter gets up. Brother says, or Peter says, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. Verse 9, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. By faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor us have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. How do I talk about this? We lean on what we know. It is the grace of Christ and the faith by which we receive that grace alone that saves. And these individuals were trying to saddle something else on top of the, the cross alone. They would seem like they were real close, but Peter was adamant and Paul was adamant and Bartimus was adamant. We've got to keep things away that would suggest that there's something we can do or that we need to do in order to earn our salvation. If the law had just been kept, right, Christ might not have been necessary. Look, your life beyond this one is entirely dependent on the work of Christ on the cross alone because we could not keep the law. Peter says it here. He says it again earlier in Acts. And we have the first 39 books of the Bible, something like 66% of the Bible is the story of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, and our disability or our inability to be able to keep it. And over and over and over again, God's mercy to keep giving us chances to do so. And finally, when he says, see, look, you cannot do it. You need me. He sends Christ. He says, in the fullness of time, he sent his son. Christ on the cross is absolutely necessary and necessary alone. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He has done all the things that was being asked of us that we could not accomplish and here the Judaizers, uh, the, the, the believers um, associated with the circumcision party or, or um, uh, bringing some kind of added rules, Peter reminds them, hey, for thousands of years, our forefathers could not keep those rules. Why in the world would you ask the Gentiles to do the same? Who in the world do we think we are helping by not speaking that truth clearly? Boldly, Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone. Brothers and sisters, we, we don't have a literal snowball's chance in hell if it's up to us. 
Because if we add that we should get circumcised, then where does that stop? Well, then we should also keep the dietary rules, and we should probably go back to the sacrifices, and we should probably do this and that. The law of Moses is some 600-plus individual laws for living in order to right ourselves with our sin separation from God. And generations of Hebrew history would suggest that humans in our sin cannot get that right. But God, rather than leaving us in it, sent his son to fulfill it and to pay the debt and in its place say, all you need is faith in me. And even that I will help you get. Even our faith being placed in Christ is not our own work, but the Holy Spirit prompting our heart towards our creator in which we respond in obedience. And inherently, there is not that much complicated with that. Danny, an elementary age student, knows that well and was just baptized in affirmation of it. We, we, look, we can stop and go look for more answers the way Paul and Barnabas did. But at the end of the day, if you are a believer and you can communicate that, do it boldly. Do it without, do it without caveat. Speak plainly where you need to speak plainly. For the believers in the room, if, if you're a believer who is caught in the ways of the Pharisees, meaning you're hung up on some thing that you feel you have to add to your, to your faith in order for God to maybe love you or, or to totally save you, stop. Stop. Rest. Rest at the foot of the cross. I get how easy it is. I get, because it might not even be that you think that there's some specific rule. It might, it, it, I get that that might seem hyperbolic to you of, well, I, yeah, I don't think you, you have to follow the law of Moses, but man, it might feel like I, I don't read my Bible as much as I know I should, so I don't know if God is actually going to save me. Man, I still lose my temper no matter how hard I've tried to, to get better at that. I just don't know if God actually fully loves me. If I could just get that right, plus Jesus, I'd probably be good. All of a sudden, are these starting to sneak into... It probably happens to more of us than we realize that we'll slip into the gospel plus and hear the words of Peter and Paul and Barnabas as it is through the grace of Christ alone, understanding that we could do nothing to fully satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. It is the grace of Christ alone, received by our faith alone. And our faith is not a work, it is just a response to what Christ has done. That as we begin to... to understand that deeper, as we begin to, to slide further and further into the comfort of that easy yoke that Christ offers. I pray that, like Paul and Barnabas and Peter, we find the boldness to speak, look at the freedom I have found. Now we have uh, behavioral expectations in response to that, because we want to worship. Hey, I want to live a certain way because Christ has done this for me, and I want to bring him glory. But I understand that those behavioral things, loving my neighbor, patient, kind, joyful, you name it, that is not something that earns my salvation. It is not some Old Testament law that I'm trying to add to it. It is that I know that I couldn't earn my way to heaven. I couldn't cleanse my own sins. Christ did that for me while I was still a sinner, And in some small way, I'm going to lift my voice and pour out my talents and give back some of the money. And I'm going to, I'm going to live my life for the one who laid it all down for me and the debt that I could not pay. Regardless of, of your, your current, uh, paycheck, your, your, your accolades or the lack thereof, none of it matters. A hill of beans in the economy of God, aside from the blood of Christ poured out. Speak that boldly. (laughs) Why, why are we holding that back? Why would we say, here's a good way, what's your good way? This is the only way. That's it. 
Paul and Barnabas knew it. Peter knew it. I would encourage us to, to rehearse it. Find rest in it this morning. I was talking to someone about um, just that on, on a Sunday morning, look, we're, we're gathered to sing and to hear God's word and, and to pray and to spend time together. And, and part of that, what happens, I hope, is that for an hour and a half, we can set aside our concerns and our worries because we're just in the presence of the Lord, lifting up praise to him and an acknowledgement of thank you. The only reason I made it even here to Sunday is because of you. Find peace now and find peace into your week alone on the, the grace of Christ received by faith. Band, if you'll come on back up. And believers, um, speak that boldly. Find peace for yourself and speak it boldly. If you're not a believer, I would invite you into that, right? We're separated from our creator and sin, and Christ has died for that sin. He lived the perfect life to satisfy what we couldn't, and he's died, and he has invited you in. And he's asked his, uh, his followers to be the, the mouthpiece of that. So here for this moment, I'm that mouthpiece. You are invited into the grace of Christ through faith alone. We can have that conversation. I would love to have that conversation, as would Robert and most of the people in the room would be tickled to death to have a conversation with you about uh, me as a beggar and them as a beggar, just telling you as a beggar where we have found the food. That's it. Don't let that pass. If you're feeling stirred towards that, take that as the Holy Spirit and respond. That is all we are called to do. Just respond to the prompting and find rest in the cross of Christ. Let's pray as we continue in worship. Father, thank you for your, uh, again, for your word. We thank you for Paul and Barnabas that you, that you rose up and Peter that you rose up to speak boldly to the faith that established your church, that here we are some 2,000 years later sitting in the legacy of bold teaching, that they opened their mouth, that they did not allow some other version of the gospel to be spoken without correcting it and clarifying that it is grace through faith on Christ alone. May we, not again, not, not even that to earn any kind of love, but just in love for you, may we follow in their footsteps to preserve the integrity of the gospel message that is you and you alone. We're thankful for it. And as we continue in, in worship and we sing to you, we pray that you are honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.